What's up, everybody? This is Moonshine Shotgun Mulligan Podcast. Tonight, not sitting with my boy CC Stats. It's it's your boy Moonshine to, on his own tonight. We got a special podcast for you guys. This is a Throwback Thursday podcast. Something I've been wanting to do for quite some time. We're gonna throw it back to different guests over the last three years of the podcast. Mainly focusing on getting your game ready for the fall season. So feel free to tune in, get the tips. Listen to Martin Chuck, Scott Hamilton, Tim Cook, all these great teachers we've listened, talked to over the past couple of years and some of our other guests, including the pro golfers that give us some hints. And always your boy, proud of Mississippi, John Howe. And and to, to piggyback on that with your instructions for the new golfers, I'm sure you do it, but I have to ask just because uh, I was fortunate enough, Chris is my cousin, so he taught me some of the, uh, you know, the – how you're off the golf ball, what you're supposed to do out there, how you're supposed to, you know, um, to, to take the course on. Um, are you guys teaching like pace of play? Are you teaching, um, you know, what to do, pick the ball up if, if we're, if we're going too slow or. Yeah. You know, it's a great question. It's uh, I, and I think it's a very valid point. I tell, I get <laughs> full disclosure. I give almost personally, I give, almost zero new bird golf lessons um, just with my clientele base. It doesn't work out. Hence why I'm lucky with the staff that has that. Having said that, I still get asked on the putting green or just walking around the resort. Hey, I'm going to go play. What do you think I should do? And you can quickly tell if someone's a little nervous, they do. And I tell everyone, like, just tee up a golf ball everywhere. If you're in a bunker, hit it twice and throw it on the green for the next shot. Like you can keep pace of play moving. You'll have more fun. Like it's, it's not, do not, <laughs> but I, I tell folks, don't keep playing until you get it in the hole. If you need to throw the darn thing and then tap it in the hole at the end. Right. Um, I think that's like, make it like an enjoyable, entertaining couple of hours on that nine holes of golf. I tell new golfers generally, like if, play at the end of the day when there's less people around it's because it really is you want the new golfer to have as great a time as possible on that golf course their first few times out we you do not as if you're a new golfer you don't want to go off at the 9 30 a.m tea time with like people behind you people in front you feel pressured go at 3 30 play nine holes and tee it up everywhere like have a blast yeah, I think keep them coming really, back right? really, really important um and and also keep them coming back and then and play from whatever tea box you want like i i would even tell the new golfers like there's tea boxes out there we have they call them family teas at, at the at the at sea pines i was like go play off the family tea and i actually say this all the time my kids uh um 11 and 13 and they kind of go back and forth from playing golf i play from the family tea like i go tee it up from the family tea with my kids Go up there and play. I get. I don't care. I I make way more birdies from the family tea. I got to tell you, I should blow numbers <laughs> from that. So it's good. It's all good. Well, and it's a different a different approach at the course. I was reading um I was reading a book. I wish I could uh, throw the throw it out there, but when you play the same course a lot, playing it from different tee boxes makes you change your shots, makes you change your approach, makes you that from the distance standpoint, you know, you're not hitting driver from the same spot. So if it's people that are coming back that actually do play golf and you know, they're go with, go with their wife or, you know, moving forward or moving back. It's a whole different game. Every tee box you change it up. So. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been, uh, been wanting to get you on for a long time there. Uh, I love it in the studio, in the workshop there. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in my garage having a white claw and, uh, talking to you guys. It's all good. Cheers, brother. Got us a little, got me a little Bud Light. <laughs> there you go. 
So you're um, you're out in Phoenix, right, Martin? I am in uh, the golf school is at the Raven Golf Club in Phoenix, and uh, the fam and I live in downtown Chandler, Arizona, a little suburb. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where should we uh, golf out there? I've been wanting to make a golf trip out out there. Uh, I assume we well, need to hit up the Raven, right? The Raven's a must play. So uh, assuming you're flying in, most folks will play the Raven either right when they get off the plane or right before they take off because it's 15 minutes south of the airport. My favorites, um, you know, I always say, you know, I, I love, I'm not a big fancy schmancy guy. Sure, I like a fancy country club from once in a, once in a while, but I think Papago is great. I love the Raven. Uh-huh. If you're going to drive a little bit, I would drive out to, say, play Wicopa. Um, Quintero is great. That's a bit of a hike, but it's fantastic, fun course for vacationers. The, the naturals are obviously um, – Troon and um, oh gosh, um, what's the name of that golf course up there? I mean, there's there's a bunch of Scottsdale courses that are great. You know, you pay a little bit more money to play in Scottsdale, but you know the golf is fun and the scenery at and around the bar afterwards just as fun. So That's Scottsdale great. is a lot of a good time. Good golf town. So yeah. um, Martin, I was always wondering what kind of put you on the map. Was it kind of your inventions, or or, or coaching, or both, or or what? You kind know, of- I, you know, I'd say that um, a little bit of good luck, really. The you know, I've always been a passionate coach. I mean, I grew up loving playing the game my whole life. You know, so I've been teaching the game since I was sixteen. I'm fifty-two now, so I've been doing it a long time. The uh, my mentor was a guy named George Newton, a Canadian guy, who had won. He won eight times in the PGA Tour, never won a major. He finished second at the Masters. But he was a phenomenal ball striker and highly regarded as a, as a great striker among his peers. I mean, you can go look at YouTube videos and just type in George Knudsen, K-N-U-D-S-O-N. And so he was my, he was my coach as a kid, and, and it was neat to be around him. Another great guy named Ben Kern. He was the director of golf at the National Golf Club in Toronto, a fantastic facility, still my – favorite golf course in the world to be honest they could you could call them and say hey we'd like to host a u.s open and they could they could literally pull it off let the grass grow for about three days and you would challenge the best players in the world easily that's awesome and so i I grew up in a junior program around there when i was 12 that was a bunch of really good players that went on from canada went on to play in u.s scholarships which is pretty remarkable and in fact i was just looking at an old video a buddy a buddy of mine sent me that was uh, some clips from when I was a teenager hitting balls, which I have never seen, which was kind of funny. And, um, you know, so me as a, I played golf, I played at New Mexico State University, was an okay college player. I got my Canadian tour card first time at Q school. I played for three years up there. I didn't, I didn't set any records and I, I loved playing, but I got offered a club pro job when I was 26 years old in Palm Desert, California at a place called actually 25 place called Indian Ridge Country Club and that year we hosted the Bob Hope and it was a job where I was actually getting paid real money to be a club pro and I took the job and I and I was a club pro for 16 years at three different places and enjoyed that and enjoyed you know helping members running the club running you know teaching obviously a ton and I enjoyed it and then it was uh, some good fortune I was always kind of inventive and the I had an idea for the tourist striker training club years ago just because everybody that came to me was kind of scoopy, didn't really realize how to strengthen the club face and how to get the wrist conditions in a good place. So with the training club, you can only hit it one way, really. 
And I told my wife, hey, babe, I think I got a good idea here. And this was, this was in, man, I can't even think now, 2006. And so 2006, have this idea. By 2000, took a couple of years to kind of get it on, get it on board. And I've got, mm-hmm. I've got them laying around here all over the place. Let me grab one. So this, this funky club right here, uh-huh. you see that guy right there, kind of an elevated leading edge. Yeah. You know, yep. and so the whole, whole thing about that, that, that became a really successful infomercial in 2010. Like we sold a ton of these things on the golf channel through Gary McCord and um, it was great. And so that, that kind of put me on the map a little bit as a, you know, guy in golf. And shortly thereafter, I got picked up by uh, Revolution Golf, which was a dynamo in the internet marketing scene for golf. So I was a regular contributor there. They had a couple million viewers at one time. And every, every week I was on once or twice kind of explaining something golfers struggle with, providing a tip and, and people liked the way I kind of delivered a message. And so that's kind of the, what really kind of got me going on the instruction front as far as being a, somebody of note as a, as a coach, you know, and, and then from, my, from there, my wife's like, hey, why don't you just do a golf school? And then I'm like, good idea, babe. So we took that and moved to Phoenix and, and I've obviously have other products that I've invented. I've got three patents and a couple more that are in process and just enjoy thinking about the game. I've got prototypes lying around the office here that I'm putzing around with and a couple of fun things that uh, should come out in the next year or two that I think will help golfers even more. So enjoy it. That's great. So uh, over the years, like um, you're kind of talking about some things that you just pick up um, from amateur golfers. Do you mainly um, just teach amateurs or pros or do you kind of do a little combination now or um, more just kind of focus on your academy? You know, I think my, I'm pretty lucky in that I get to stay, you know, in one place for the most part and coach rich recreational golfers. I always joke, you know, my favorite kind of people are those with time and money because, you know, they, to come to a golf school, it's not, it's, it's, it's not inexpensive. It's not crazy expensive, but it's a commitment of time and it's a commitment of money. And, you know, we do a golf school every week um, through the season in Phoenix, every Wednesday through Friday. And I'd say my average client's probably somebody who's, you know, late forties to, you know, middle seventies. And sometimes I've had, you know, 80 year olds and my oldest is 90 year old. So, you know, we get recreational older players that are seeking to get better. And, you know, I'm the common man's coach. Have I taught tour players? Absolutely. Um, Do I enjoy teaching tour players? Of course I do. I mean, it's their physical specimens who, uh, you know, are faster and amazing at what they do. But the reality is I have zero um, intent to like, follow the tour or week to week travel it mean that means nothing to me like I, i'm right. a lot of my um, peers out there coaching tour players i give them a lot of respect because the travel it takes to be a tour coach and keep your family together when you're on the road is a miracle so congratulations to those coaches that travel the tour with tour players and can keep keep things on the home front organized because man i tell you what i, I got a couple of busy kids I, sh- I sure couldn't do it yeah. So I'm blessed to be able to do what I do, teach, you know, I teach a lot of really good players, but I'm not going to go on the road to teach them. That's great. Yeah, you, you said, you mentioned amateurs. What's one thing out of the recreational golfer that, that they come in? What's kind of one thing that kind of stands out that 
that you're working on the most with them? Like what's one thing that you're seeing a lot of, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's, it's the most, it's the most basic things. And it's, you'd be surprised the golfers that come see me, I get newbies, which I love. Like I love teaching newbies because I get to inspire them to get their hands on the club properly. You know, typically some golfer wants to play golf and some well-meaning coworker or uncle Al will take them out to the golf course. Right. And the first thing they do is they say, Oh, you want to play golf? You got to put your hands together like this. This is the interlocking grip. You do that. That's how golfers do it. Well, you know, so what happens is people put their hands together webbing to webbing and now they really don't have a place to put their trail hand on the club nicely. Mm-hmm. You know, so if a newbie is with a, uh, an intelligent, thoughtful coach, and think about a coach. A coach isn't somebody who patronizes you. I mean, if you guys have played other sports, you know, maybe you've had a rah, 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 you're a lovely person coach all the time. I grew up playing ice hockey my whole life. You know, it's seven years of football, a few years of rugby. Um, I was in a band with a crazy band leader guy, you know, rest in peace, but he was a hard ass. So good coaches are sticklers about detail and procedure. And like, I like to, you know, cut it up and have fun with people, but I'm a, like, I'm going to take a newbie. I'm going to get their hands on correctly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show them how to walk into a ball correctly and stop them when they mess it up and make them do it again. So to your point, I mean, most people have a bastardized grip when they show up. And if, you know, they always joke, if you change your grip, you lose a friend. Well, you know, I always say that, but I'll say to them, Hey, listen, you've got a really weak grip and, and it might be, you might grip it for comfort, but it's not really functional. Let's grip it for function. And it may not be comfortable for a little while, but it'll make the club face go to a spot that gives you rewards if you'll stick with it a little while. So I can usually sell them on the idea of the change. And the nice thing about a golf camp is it's three days. So I just say, suffer with me for three days. We'll have a good time. I could care less if you hit a good shot. I know you want to hit good shots. Your ego will like good shots. But if you just stick the process and work on the routines of good golf, on the elements of a nicer grip, understand you know where the face needs to be where the weight of the club needs to be and how you can you know inspire the the club to help you rather than fight it and force it the whole time you can enjoy golf and hit a lot of satisfying shots not just the broken clock where you're you know you hit two good ones out of the whole whole day i like what you said about detail i coach i coach baseball coach my son's travel baseball team and we have some good kids on the team but and they know they're good, but it's them understanding, like, you have to do, pay attention to detail. Otherwise, bad habits creep in from time to time, and then Completely. you're going to suffer. I know. I mean, I just played golf with my son, and he's 12. And he's, uh, you know, he's, a, he's got the bug, which is awesome. And he, and he could be good, possibly. I mean, he may, you know, do it solely for recreation. But at this point, you know, he's got some elements in his swing that are really, really cool. And I'm a stickler for, okay, buddy, come on, give me a good routine, good walking routine. Give me a waggle, take a look and go. And I frankly don't care how he hits it. I want to see him walk into a shot correctly, set up correctly, waggle, take a look, start his swing. I mean, you, you can't control a golf ball. Some really good players might hit it in the middle of the face. Their, their club path and face deviations are tiny. The ball sort of goes where they're looking. Mm. You know, I always joke in golf, sometimes we're the windshield, sometimes we're the bug. And, you know, as long as your routine and your understanding of things is, is a consistent on and on behavior, ten, you tend to be the windshield more than you're the bug. So, you know, golf isn't something where, oh, I hit a bad shot. What did I do last week that was good? Oh, I missed it. Oh, what did I do two weeks ago? 
right? Everybody just kind of tends to go and go through the file folder by the, if they make two bogeys in a row or two doubles in a row, oh, they're always going back to kind of fixing something. Now there's no question that in golf, there's technique that will help you be more reliable. Amen to that. And a good coach will help you understand that. But then the, to become a really good golfer, you know, it's decision-making, it's routine. It's, you know, the execution part is reliable or unreliable. That's golf. You might, you might have the best swing in the world and hit it one inch on the toe of the driver and hook it out of bounds. You know, so golf's that hard if you're a high speed player, it really is, mm -hmm. you know, and it's more amazing when a golfer plays around a golf at, a, at the tour level and say drives it in the fairway all day. That's remarkable at 115 miles an hour to hit the middle of the driver face. That's remarkable because like literally that dimension and my finger thickness toward the toe will gear affect the ball that could potentially go out of bounds or that same amount of heel hit can make it go out of bounds to the right or for the right handed golfer, you know, so golf's that tricky and so much of its mindset. And, you know, if you hit a bad shot, can you let that go and move on and think about the, the next best way to advance the ball successfully for the lowest score in that hole, whether it's just saving a par, saving a bogey for that matter, you mm -hmm. know, just getting out of there and then moving on and seeing if you can get in a rhythm of a, you know, a positive trend before it levels out and potentially dips down. And I just say, Hey, keep trending. That's golf. You keep trending the right way you're doing awesome. Like that. That's great. Yeah. And I like what you're saying about almost simplifying the game because so many times, Martin, I know when I've had lessons from different instructors over the years and thinking about the game, I'm trying to overanalyze things too much, but the most productive lessons I've ever had, the instructor just changed my ball position a little bit, changed my grip or adjusted my alignment, just something, something small. And it's, it's pretty awesome that, that can really affect your game quite a bit. Oh, totally. You know, it is, um, you don't have to show somebody how smart you are as a golf coach. You know, I, I always say, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I like to, you know, listen to the student. You hear, they will tell you their idea of what they're doing. Okay. And sometimes that's pretty accurate. And sometimes, honestly, they really don't have an idea. They don't have a clue and that's fine. Maybe they're not highly educated in the game and that's okay too and so with those students you know you don't you don't want to give them like a a book of knowledge because they, they don't want it right so the better the player too mark like to your point is that you know when i have a really good player coming to me typically you know i'll look at them and i'll see if you know does does the club path create too much possible friction to curve the ball yeah maybe if it does okay well what, what do we get it to be a little less severe like Good players tend to get too inside out. They don't usually tend to get too outside in, you know. So um, good players might, their pelvis might get in the way of the grip a bit, and that might cause for the handle to get pushed around and the face might roll a bit more than you want it to, right? So you start looking at some of the things that the good player might um, suffer from that takes away from their reliability. And then the other players like the newbies, you know, they really need to kind of learn, you know, how to swing the weight of the club with rhythm. Um, what makes the ball go where it goes? They don't really, a lot of them don't understand, you know, why taking practice swings in the wet grass might affect how far their golf ball goes. You know, that's a mind blower, the, the whole idea of a jumper, like a, a flyer lie, because, you know, you lubricate the face, 
And then like, for example, like I swing a seven iron about 85 miles an hour. Okay. I hit it about 165. If I hit, you know, if I hit it off a clean line, it goes 165. If I hit it at a light rough, it might fly 180. Mm-hmm. And now some, some amateurs are all pumped. Hey, I just hit seven iron 180 over the green into the lake and made double. <laughs> boy, did I hit it great. You know what I mean? But they don't understand that they just lubricated the face. The ball rolled up, the, launched up the face with less spin and it launched higher. And now, now it's really not a seven iron anymore. It's some other club, right? So educating them. I had this amazing junior in today, like this girl, I'm going to say is going to be a household name at some point. And, and here's the amazing thing about this girl. Any coach in the world could coach her. Anyone. I, you know, I shouldn't say that. Some coach might mess her up. But all you got to do is stay out of her way and keep her. I mean, this girl was 12. Like, I'm like 5'9 and a quarter inches tall. She's like 5'10 already at 12. <laughs> okay. She swings her driver 100 miles an hour easily. It looks like golf is like she's falling out of bed. She's so good. It's stupid. Okay. <laughs> I mean, she's so much better than the other women, professional women I've taught. It's ridiculous. The only thing that she needs to learn how to do is kind of like, all right, you're 40 yards out in the light rough. The pin is in the back. There's, you know, she needs to look at, be able to look at a scenario and make a snap decision that isn't disastrous. She, need, she needs to look at a scenario be able to choose a club and, and forecast the outcome that is, could be potentially be successful and then be able to maybe pull it off. Now, when you're 12, you don't have a file folder of, that you can go and go, oh, yeah, this shot because right. she's 12. Mm-hmm. Right, right? But physically, she's a massive gift, but she needs to have the experience and the, you know, to go around a golf course and because to put a tee in the ground and rip a driver, LPGA tour players would be like, excuse me? What was that? Because she could go outperform a ton of the best in the world full shots today. Now, where she's going to get run over is like within 120 yards of the green, making choices and then weather and wind and not knowing exactly how to deal with all those little pieces. You see, Mm -hmm. that's where experience and some really good coaching, not instructing, more coaching will help her just you know, answer those questions the golf course throws at her because that's what golf is ultimately. It's a series of questions. Do you have the answers, right? Yep. So in, when you're talking about like golf course management, um, how much of that like is part of playing good golf? I mean, for the amateurs like like myself and, and uh, Chris, um, you know, I'm always thinking like how much is instruction? How much is the mental game? Like, what do I need to focus on a little bit more? Is it just kind of, um, does it just depend? You know, I'd say that a routine, I'll tell you, here's another cool story. Okay. So there is, do you know, Scott Fawcett is decade golf. So Scott's a friend of mine. He's a really smart fellow, very good player played on the, you know, on the Corn Ferry tour back in the day. What I forget what it was called. Like when I played on, it was called the Ben Hogan tour hundred years ago. Then it was a nationwide, then it was the Nike tour and then this and that. Right. So back when I played on, it was the Ben Hogan tour, but Scott, Scott's an excellent player. And he's like a math guy and like a problem solver. He, he caddied for Bryson DeChambeau when he won the U S amateur and he caddied for Will Zalatoris when Will won the U S junior. And he basically said, here, hit this and aim it there. And these guys basically just listened to them and they won their tournaments. Um, Now, to your point about decision-making and routine, you know, I'd say it's a blend. Like 
really intelligent golfers can look at a scenario and it's like playing poker. They, they have, they can, they can make a bet that can potentially have a positive outcome versus some guy who's impatient, you know, makes a poor bet or does something bad that's going to probably have a negative outcome. Okay. So an example, um, greens, you know, if I use my iPhone, right, greens are, you're looking at a green. Usually we can see the back of the green and there's the front of the green from the 150 marker, right? So if we miss short, the chip up the hill to the middle of the green, I'm not talking up way a hill, but greens usually have a little bit of a pitch and modern greens might have two or three sections within that general pitch, right? So when you, if you miss long, you're kind of giving yourself a bogey because, you know, even if you have a great short game, you're chipping to a green that's running away from you. It's a way harder shot than chipping up a hill to a pin. You know, when you look at a pin, you know, your front pin, middle pin, back pin, right? And say you are in the rough and you're 150 yards to a front pin. The only way you're going to get a close from the rough from 150 yards to a front pin is if it can bounce on. Well, is it a wet morning? Did the water all run down the green to the front of the green? Do you see where I'm going with this? There's so many little possibilities that an experienced player can immediately know and then choose a shot that can give them the opportunity for a par or possibly, you know, worst case, and maybe even a birdie, but worst case, not, not mismanage the shot. You know, like my little guy right now, he's got technique pretty good. He swings it great. I mean, you know, on Instagram videos, if you go to Martin Chuck PGA, you'll see my son Jackson there. You know, he's a little dude. He's 80 pounds. He hits it 210, 215. You know, he rips it for his weight. He mashes it. He swings right. it about when you're 80 pounds and you swing at 80 miles an hour, you're pretty strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but his, like, he's, you know, on or around greens and regulation the whole day. The problem is he might walk away with double bogeys or worse because he chooses poor short game shots that he can't quite execute. And then he might three putt. So it's like Hank Caney said, you know, you know, when he played and played with a ton of amateurs and stuff, the big mistake amateurs make is like, like, you know, one, one chip, three putts or two chips, two putts, or, you know, a really good player is a one chip, one putt, or at worst one chip, two putts. You mm-hmm. see what I mean? And, right. and huge, especially watching junior golfers develop. I'm you know, like pulling my hair out what little I have left <laughs> watching junior golfers now play and just the simple mistakes they make where, you know, you know, I still play a little bit. I've got a section event coming up. The guys get around pretty well. Like, you know, I'm playing the senior division, but it's like, they're still pretty savvy golfers. We don't crush it out there that far. Some of us still move it a bit, but you know, that we don't make that many silly mistakes. You might hit a bad shot. That's different. We don't make, you know, uh, you know, self inflicted error. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Like, yeah, that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, yeah, like the golf course management, I noticed like you're saying when I've played better golf, it's when I've been a little bit more focused on not just like how far I'm, I mean, for years when I was growing up playing with my dad, it was, you know, like you're saying, playing with your uncle comes out, says, you know, do your interlock grip, you're 150 yeah. yards out from the hole, hit your 150 yard club. And there's so much more to it. Like you got yeah. there's so many elements that you got to, decipher through there's a great gary player story so gary player is i want to say i'm going to paraphrase and i'm going to butcher it but it goes something like this caddy i want to say it's at augusta because when you got to augusta they gave you a caddy back in the day i forget what year you could finally take your own caddy but it was for a long time you showed up as the player at augusta you got assigned a guy okay well 
Gary Player is, I don't know what hole he's on, but it was early, maybe, maybe second or third hole, his caddy hands him a club. And Gary, you know, I, I met the man a few times, you know, he can be a little terse. And he <laughs> says to the guy, excuse me, he, he says, well, no, Mr. Player, you know, hit this club. And Gary said, um, he said, Sonny, give me the four iron, which was way too much club. And he proceeded to chip four iron on the green. He said, Sonny, give me the nine iron, which was less club than the guy gave him. And he proceeded to rip nine iron on the green. He said, I'll do the club picking, please. <laughs> right? Because right. I've had that happen to me. And I've, gone to, I've been abandoned. Luckily enough, I've been abandoned like 15 times now on boys trips. If you haven't done that one, put that on your bucket list. Okay. So Bandon's amazing. And, they, and I always take a caddy there because I want the experience. Mm-hmm. In this uh, one year, same thing happened to me. This guy, this caddy, um, you know, who I'm sure could play a bit, you know, but, you know, I'm like, I, I'll play it for whatever you want, buddy. So here's the thing. It's a blustery, crazy day. And he has no, and I'm playing nicely. Like, it's like my buddies are shooting a wad and they're all pros too. But it's like, you don't really know how I want to play this shot. I may want to take a ton off and play it down, let it tumble, let it roll, let it just trickle onto the green, you know? So this guy is like pulling clubs for me because he thinks that's his job. I'm like, no, 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 just let's talk about baseball or hockey. Put the bag here. Tell me how far it is. I, you know, I can feel the wind, you know? And it's like, you don't have to tell me it's a three club wind because I can make the ball go where I want it to go. Now, if I was a hundred shooter, I had no clue. That caddy would probably right. be very effective for that guy. Right. But for me, it's like, you know what, pal? Let's tell each other stories. I want to get to know you and your family a little bit. Tell me about your brothers and where you're from and this and that. But I'll pull the club ultimately. What I want to know is, and I played Bandon so many times, I know where everything is anyway now. But what I really want to know is, like, is there a bunker over the green? Is there something I can't see that I need to be aware of? That's right. about it, really. And then I'll pull the club and I'll either hit a good shot or a bad shot. It's not the caddy's fault, you know? Mm-hmm. I like what you said about planning, planning the elements. And I have the opportunity to coach with the first tee here locally. And I talk to the kids all the time, especially when we're short game. It's all about the elements, how wet, is it hot out, is the wind blowing, all those things. And I want the, I can teach them how to hit certain chip shots, but they got to understand how to do other things between the morning and the afternoon and, the, you know, late afternoon and all things like that. And so getting them to understand it and some, some pick up on that and they get it. So, which is great. So I'm glad right. you said that. Good for you. I mean, that's, uh, you know, asking them questions. Um, and those kids, like, you know, my son, he had a couple of situations where, you know, he's by a cart path. Okay, well, how do you properly take a drop? Yeah. You know, what do you do? You know, if you stick in a bush, what are your options? If it goes in, the, if it goes in a, what do they call it now? And it's not a water hazard anymore. It's called a what? I don't even know. I got to read the new rule book because I'm all confused. <laughs> they call it a hazard, a penalty area, I guess. Right. So, you know, what happens when you go in a penalty area? Mm-hmm. And I mean, these kids have to, and you, and you can't just show them once. I mean, the, maybe the geniuses learn once, but you got to right. show these kids 10 times how to take a drop properly, you know, and even my son who I was pretty convinced knew what he was doing. He took, you know, he wanted to take two club lengths from a card path. I'm like, no, 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 buddy. Nearest point of relief, one club length. If you're stuck in a bush and you choose the option to play it from where it's, you know, you deem it unplayable. Now you can take two club lengths from that point. Right. So, right. All those little things, like being a club pro, guys, is hysterical. Do you guys, do you guys follow Club Pro Guy on Instagram? Nice. And, uh, that guy, that franchise is congratulations for that silliness because it's hysterical. Um, 
you know, being a club pro for 16 years, I can't tell you how many times that a lady in the ladies club deemed herself knowledgeable of the rules, really having no clue, but yet imposing her knowledge on some other lady and then coming to me afterward and I'm like, excuse me? So I'd say to the lady who thought she knew it all, hey, listen, I get it. I appreciate you have a, you know, this flavor for knowing the rules, but you were incorrect. And then the lady who didn't have a clue, I'm like, hey, it's your responsibility to kind of understand these basic ones that you're going to face all the time. So when you get somebody to challenge you, you actually know what to do. Right. That's confidence, right? And so, you know, I try to do ladies clinics and rules and have them in for a, you know, a cup of coffee and kind of go through it and explain it. So I was empowering them to use the rules to their advantage and, and, and feel confident enough to how to, how to use the rules. Because once you know it, it's not that big a deal. And you just tell right. somebody, hey, I've got a situation here. I need to take relief. Would you like to come check it out? You know, blah, 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 whatever. But, you know, that's a big deal. Definitely. But well, before I let you go, uh, Martin, I got to ask you, because you're a hockey guy. So uh, just to change it up a little bit, who's your uh, NHL team? Do you go uh, oh, one of the man. Canadian teams? or, or oh, are you... you know it, man. I'm from Toronto and the <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs. So I'm 52 years old. They won the Stanley Cup 53 three years ago okay so in my lifetime they've never i've never seen the cup one in toronto and they won it a bunch of times back when there were like literally no teams in the league not taking anything away from the original six and the you know less less uh, teams to beat but in the 32 team nhl now winning the stanley cup that's something that that's is huge. something now the seattle kraken where are you guys from i don't even know uh dc area so DC, Virginia. Cap, caps fan so you're yeah, good you know, you're not a penguins love- fan so we're good Good, you know. I mean, OV. I love uh, Tom Wilson's an animal, oh, but no, is. I don't miss. Uh, you know, when Timmy Panarin jumped on him like a spider monkey, <laughs> right. you know, and he tossed him to the ground. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Um, you know, I got a lot of respect for OV and and the Caps, and so I, you know, it'll. I'm sure they'll have another another season where they get in the playoffs, and we'll, you know, we'll see what happens then. I would have thought they would have gone a little bit longer last year, actually. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that Ovi signed his uh, another contract, so he's going to be in here for a little bit longer. Yeah, what do you get? Five more years? Or yeah, something? I think five and like almost forty-eight. You know what? I I would say the guy deserves it. He's going to show up and he's going to get. He's going to stand there in his hot spot, right, and and rip slap shots a hundred miles an hour. Poor <laughs> goalie. That's going to work for a while. He's going to score a lot of goals from that high <laughs> slot right there, right? It's so funny watching them play. And I know the golf fans watching this, all of a sudden it turned into hockey. But, right. you know, it's uh, to, to Obi stands there like he's waiting for a bus. And then all of a sudden this puck comes his way and he just tees off on this thing. <laughs> and this, you know, the goalie can either get it or he can. And, if he, and he's probably sorry half the time that he does touch the puck, right? Right. And he can't but, play golf with a lick. Oh, I bet he can. I love <laughs> You know, it's, it's, um, Back, you know, I know you guys got to go and I, and uh, I got to roll here pretty soon too, but, um, and I've got a few more minutes if y'all have time, but the interesting thing about athletes that come to see me, sometimes I'll get an athlete, like, I'll give you an example, Mark Kotze, any, are you guys baseball guys at all? Yep. Yep. Mark Kotze was a center fielder for the A's in Boston. This is going back 20 years now. Um, he was like the college player of the year one year, pitched a he played for Cal State Fullerton, I think, and it yeah. was just epic college player. Anyway, comes out and signs up for lessons. You've never, I've never met a better learner than him. In other words, if I said something to him, he didn't get ahead of me. Okay. If I showed him how to grip it, 
you know, he was thoughtful and mindful and he put his hands on, he says, is this right? Yeah, is, is like this? Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is how you walk into a golf ball. And he was really particular about getting the really important things down. And his ego wasn't such that missing bothered him. Mm-hmm. So you saw this massive trend upward in his skill because all, you know, he was so careful about his grip and his walking routine and then he'd miss and then he'd miss. And all of a sudden he started to hit the face. Then he started to hit the middle of the face. And then you've got this crazy athlete that's faster, bigger, stronger. Well, he wasn't that big, but he was just a really strong guy. And all of a sudden it's like, poof, a golfer appeared where I get a, also, I get the other side of the coin. I get athletes who are like, well, I was an all American at blah, blah, blah. And then they think they therefore should be good at golf. Right. And that is the worst train wreck you've ever seen. Because <laughs> you get these ego guys that, that, that were great at some other sport and think that's going to come to golf. And I'll say to people, I'll say in my golf camp, hey, put your hand up. You've played a musical instrument in the band. Anybody? Anybody? And somebody might say, you know, humbly, you know, I, put, I played trombone or whatever they played. I'll go, good, because anybody who played an instrument has suffered because you suck at an instrument. There's no getting around. You pick up a saxophone the first time, you sound like a duck that got ran over by a semi. There's, you're not good. And you're not good for a while. And the process to get good takes commitment. And so if you get a good athlete and they're in the right mindset, they can be special at golf because they're athletic. But you can take, I love finding those musicians that have suffered through music to become, become good because they can look back and go, you know, you're right. I did suck and I worked on my scales and I worked at this and that. And I'm pretty, after a while, all of a sudden, I could kind of put it together and I was a decent musician. And that's how golfers get really good. You know, athleticism is different. Everybody's different. Some people can dunk a basketball. My record for the 100-meter dash, 80 meters. Everybody's different, okay? So that's a joke, by the way. So if you have very good procedure, you can be exceptional in golf. Love it. So we're back in position there, Brian. So part two is coming. Okay, here we go. Okay, so now what we're gonna do is we're gonna follow up to part one, which was, where's my balance? How was my forward flexion? And what was the third, my glutes? How'd my glutes fire? Because everybody's being told you have glute amnesia. You're not getting your glutes through. Okay, well, you can't get your glute through if the bones are out of position. Meaning, if somebody's deviating from this and their body's going forward, sway back, posterior pelvis even worse, and then thoracic flexion, and I'm exaggerating, and then they say, I need more power. Yeah, okay. We're gonna get that, but we're gonna do the opposite. So now, get your feet dead straight ahead. Did you want a little pigeon toed? Is that what you said? I pigeon toed, like literally, like the shoe, let me pull up an old van here, right? Um, like here's an old van and look at what the shoe does. It, it crowds the hot dogs together. Mm-hmm. You know, versus like zero shoes, they allow you to spread out or Vibram five fingers or uh, New Balance Minimus, right? They spread the, the forefoot out. But I like vans because they move and I can put a different insert in there or whatever. Well, you can see that this is straight, 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 but then it's curved in about five degrees. So you got to get that same thing. If you want true ankle joint, then get the front of your foot to go slightly straight. Fist width apart between them. Now take your hands and put them in a fist. Put the thumb up like you're hitchhiking and then open it up to that. So this is all one line like this. I'll put your arms down to your sides and I'll take you through what I did on Bulletproof. So just shoulders are down. If you move, check your foot position. Shoulders are down, 
And when I say shoulders back, watch what I don't do. I'm gonna move over here where this white is. I don't, I'm not gonna ask you to go like this. It's not a lay back, it's slide the shoulder blades together, but drop them down a little bit. So stay out of your traps. So you're going here, here. Okay, you there? Hands are in this position. Keep it stiff. And I want you to circle just like that 40 times, keeping the tension between your shoulder blades. Remember, you don't wanna, you don't wanna see the rib cage popping up like this. So remember, stay down into the shoulder blades without throwing your rib cage forward. You shouldn't see your hands and your periphery coming forward like this. Yep, keep them there. Just straight into the core. Mm -hmm. Well, the cool part is the shoulder is the mechanism for speed. Why wouldn't the shoulder be the mechanism for everything else? Mm -hmm. If you want to free up the hip, you got to change the shoulder girdle. Mm -hmm. Same position, palms up, circle up and back. Keep that shoulder blade pinned together. Keep out, stay out of your traps. Good. And anybody listening or watching, make sure your feet are five degrees turned in because that's the only way we trap the psoas because it attaches at the lesser trochanter of the femur right here. Mm -hmm. If your feet are turned out, this whole leg turns out, which decreases the tension on that muscle. We're actually engaging and working the psoas because of the perturbance up here, mm -hmm. but then it fires down at what you call the core. Right. Okay. Drop your arms, put your hands in that same position. Feet are straight, check them. Put it here against your temples, like so. Here's your eye. You want to go right behind your eye to your temples, like this. Mm -hmm. And then just close it together and then open them back up. Try to touch those elbows together. Okay. And then pull them back. <laughs> I love it. You know, he was looking at me. Okay. That'll work. <laughs> no, this is like, remember Chris Farley, fat guy in a Not little. little. <laughs> Come on. And I, I know you guys have headphones on and everything, but ideally you wouldn't have hats, glasses, headphones. Right. Uh, you know, we would just be opening and closing just like this. It'd be that easy. This is teaching your shoulder blade how to glide. Now you understand where the compensation or adaptation has happened due to your lower back. Let your knuckles roll. Watch me. Let my knuckles roll so my fingernails are on my face when I'm done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Touch them, touch them, touch them, touch them. There's one. Now we can start. Wow. That's incredible. Dude, you're 32. Yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah, that's fun. Okay, straight up and down. Take, take a break, take a break. Interlace your fingers together like this. Feet are straight. And this isn't for everybody on here, but one of you knows why I'm going to say this. Okay, remember. Okay, God, please forgive me for what I've done in the last year of my life. I'll let you guys think of who <laughs> I'm just kidding. Shoulders, arms away. Take it straight up over your head. Don't lean back, but look up at your hands. Drop your traps and lock your arms out like your triceps are locked out, but your shoulders are down. Mm -hmm. Just don't lean back toward the wall. Me personally, 
I think there's there's no good substitute for chipping and putting. I don't care how good you hit mm-hmm. it. You're not going to out-hit people. It, it just doesn't happen. Right. Right? I mean, the last guy that's kind of done that, Hogan, maybe. I, you know, I, I mean, you know, you look at Tiger, he out-hit everybody, but he out-chipped everybody and out-putted everybody too. <laughs> right. Right? So <laughs> – so there's no real good substitute for, for somebody that can chip and putt, right? So, you know, I look for kids that have offense, right? And so what I mean is can they go low? Can they make three, four, five birdies in a row? What are they doing when they get to five under through 12 holes? Are they going, oh, I'm going to put the brakes on, man. If I can just get this thing in the house at five under, I'm, I'm fine. Or is it I want to get to six? Mm-hmm. And then when I get to six, I want to get to seven, right? right? Put on the so, gas. Yeah, like I like offense. You can always teach defense. Mm-hmm. That's just core strategy stuff. Right. Right. Proper proper side of the hole, things like that. But I, you know, and so you can't. I just think it takes too long college wise to try to teach somebody some offense. Right. So mm-hmm. I want to. I want to see a kid that can go out there and shoot sixty four, sixty five. I don't care if it's an easy golf course or not. Does he have the mental fortitude to go out there and be the best that he can be and keep pushing himself to be better? Right. Right. How hard is that to get over, you know, when you're just, you can't get it off the tee for you guys. It's kind of interesting to hear you say that because, I mean, us, you know, just amateur golfers are out there and there's times we go through those stretches and, and it's, and it's, it is interesting to hear that you guys go through some similar stuff, obviously not on, as grand of a scale of us slicing one, you know, 250 yards right off every tee. But, but no, it's, yeah. it, but actually, you know, where, where you all have some struggles too to, to work through, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I mean, I had a two-way miss going. I've never had a two-way miss. I'm, I've always been, I'm a right side of the golf course guy. Like mm-hmm. I'm never going to hit it left and, you know, it's going to, you know, if it goes right, whatever, we can deal with it. Um, but all of a sudden I had left and right going. And I couldn't play like that. I didn't know where I was going right. to go. My my short game last fall was nuts. I mean, I was getting up and down from everywhere to shoot like seventy four. Like it was, uh, it was, it was ridiculous. But yeah. I mean, it, you know, it was what it was. So I, you know, kept that going. You know, I had a ton of confidence in my short game, my putting. I just had to get put the work in on my swing and I, you know, I got that where it needed to be. The short game putting was still good. And that's why I had such a ridiculous spring this past year. I just, you know, got the confidence back with that. And then, you know, it was rolling. Awesome.